This is episode number 71, The Darkness of Injury and How to Be an Athlete Mom with four-time national mountain bike champion, Rose Grant. Welcome to the Sonia Looney Show. This is a podcast about how to live a high-performance life, spanning the categories of mindset, plant-based nutrition, and inspiring stories to help you be better every day. I can't believe we're already at 71 episodes, friends. That is a lot of episodes. That is over 71 hours of getting to listen and talk to some incredible people. And I just want to thank you for joining me on that journey so far. Thanks for listening. Thanks for leaving the reviews that you've so kindly left on Apple Podcasts. And I'm so glad you're here. Also, I just wanted to give a shout out and say thank you to those of you who are financially supporting my work on Patreon with $4 a month or more. It's so helpful. It's really contributed to the growth of the show, including a purchase of microphones and some new equipment. So thank you so much. And if you're interested in supporting my work on Patreon, it's patreon.com slash the Sonia Looney show. And the link is also in the show notes. I also just want to say thank you to Roma. He is my audio engineer and I've had him on board since episode one. And he is responsible for how amazing this podcast always sounds. He is a professional musician, so we are in really great hands. So thanks, Roma. This podcast and topic are very near and dear to my heart. Rose Grant is a professional mountain biker who rides for the Stance Pivot Team presented by Maxis. And she has been the national champion for marathon racing four times in the United States. She is such a kind and wonderful person and just has a smile that will make you feel so good. But Rose has been having a little bit of a struggle this year. She had an injury last year with her shoulder. So you've probably seen her in pictures coming over the finish line in first place in a shoulder brace. So she was treating that shoulder and went back into racing to race the Pan Am Games and had another crash that was absolutely devastating that we talked about in the show. And then after she was recovering from that, she decided that she was going to have surgery on her shoulder to fix it so that she doesn't have any more crashes. So basically, she worked really hard in the off season, only to have to take the majority of this season off. We've all been there. We've all had injuries. We've had disappointing setbacks in our lives. And really, I think it's important to talk about how we deal with these things and not be so isolated because the isolation is the hardest part. You see other people riding their bikes or doing those things that you wanted to do because you can't get out there and it's even harder. So I'm really glad that Rose came on the show and it took a lot of courage to be vulnerable and tell us a lot about what's been going on in her life. We covered a lot of really great topics in this show. We talked about Rose's background growing up, her approach to being a pregnant athlete. That's right, Rose is a mom, and there aren't very many pro mountain biker females who are moms who are out there just killing it, and she is. How she got back to racing after having a baby, Rose's ascent to becoming national champion and her team, the injury she's overcome the last couple of years and what that was like for her, and how to emotionally cope with huge disappointments in your life. I think you guys are really going to enjoy this podcast with Rose Grant, so make sure you tell us what you think. Take a screenshot of the episode and tag us on social media, tag both myself and Rose Grant, and tell us what you got out of it. 
A quick little bit about me before we get in. I've been traveling a lot. I am done racing for the year, but I've been doing a lot of public speaking. So next week, you'll get to hear my speech that I've given twice at a couple different veg fests and health forums about change, being inclusive, and a little bit about how to be a high-performance plant-based athlete. So make sure you're subscribed to the show so you can hear that. I'm also going to be speaking at a university in Michigan as part of a Custer lecture series. My background is actually in engineering, so I'm excited to write and give that speech. And this week, there are avocado socks on moxieandgrit.com. That is my sock brand, M-O-X-Y-A-N-D-G-R-I-T.com. So if you like avocados, I highly recommend you check those socks out. I love avocados, and I also put a couple socks on sale. So go check that out. I'd appreciate your support, and I would love to see those photos tagged because I share them all on the Moxie and Grit Instagram page. All right, so here is the amazing and inspiring Rose Grant. Rose Grant, welcome to the show. Thanks, Sonia, for having me. I've been wanting you to come on the show for a really long time because I think that there's a lot of amazing things that people can learn from you. Well, thank you. That's an honor. Yeah. And I just want to personally say that I really admire you as a racer, but also as a human being in the way that you handle things that happen, whether it be like you're like one of the only pro women that has a family, like has a child and you're just amazing. So I'm just so thankful that I guess to chat with you at length because we always just kind of see each other in passing at races. Right. Well, thank you so much. Yeah. So I want to talk about kind of your life before the bike, because I think a lot of people know you as this person who completely dominates in multiple disciplines of mountain biking. But I understand that you didn't grow up mountain bike racing per se. Like what, how did you identify growing up? Yeah, that's right. So I was raised with my four brothers in Northwest Montana. My dad was an outdoorsman at heart and lived kind of a hippie lifestyle with my mom. And we were just raised in the mountains, skiing in the winter and backpacking in the summer. And I spent a lot of my junior high and high school years on the back of a horse, homeschooled a lot of that. So yeah, it was just pretty simple life. I was always competitive at heart and did a lot of individual sports, but played softball and soccer as well through high school. My older brother started working at a bike shop in Hamilton, Montana, which was near where we lived in Darby. And I kind of followed him his footsteps and started riding a mountain bike, mostly around the dirt roads like the Forest Service roads in the mountains. I just did a couple of local races at the time and as like a beginner age group racer. And locally, I did well. I won them, won the races in Missoula, and but never thought anything of it. Mountain biking was really an unestablished sport here. There was not an opportunity to get plugged in without knowing the right people. And so I didn't. I went off to college and picked up running and never really thought twice about my bike or pursuing the sport or realizing that there was a potential to be a professional athlete in cycling. Sorry to interrupt. So, were, you trying, were you trying to be a professional horse rider? Because that can be quite competitive, as I understand. 
I actually did at one point wanted to go with my 4-H leader who had become a good friend of mine to the racetrack and just live a lifestyle of racing horses. <laughs> but my mom didn't like that idea very well and shipped me off to college in Florida. <laughs> Did you miss having that relationship with the animal? Because riding horses is like a really intimate experience with the horse. I love horses still to this day. And Layla takes a fascination to them as well. So I do miss them. Absolutely. I I had my heart broken when I was 15. I actually lost a horse. He died from colic. And yeah, it was such a traumatic experience for me that had that not happened, I don't think I would have separated from horses. And do you think that riding horses has helped your mountain biking? Oh, I don't know. <laughs> I mean, there's something to having balance and coordination, but I think if you have those things, I mean, you're going to be a good bike rider or more horseback rider. So you mentioned running and I know several cyclists who started as runners and I was one of them as well. Like what made you decide to, to do running? Well, it was simpler. And in college I was shorter on time and I went to school in Florida where I guess mountain biking was, I just didn't have the opportunity as often. So I ran mainly there, played soccer and softball and continued running after college too. I met my husband in college and he's from Maine. And so I moved to central Maine from about 2004 to 2007. And yeah, I mean, that's a different place too. It, it you know, it, it just, that sport there is pretty much non-existent in central Maine. It's more like Hickville with, you know, people are into hunting and fishing and riding their four wheelers around. But so I didn't get plugged in there either. And in 2007, we moved back to Montana. My husband fell in love with Montana and had a job opportunity here with the Flathead County Sheriff's Office. And we were able to move back. And that's when I started picking up my running a bit more. I had ran the Boston Marathon right before moving and wanted to maintain some marathon running and ultra running, but it continued to get injured. I didn't have a coach. I was not training appropriately, probably, but continually wanting to push my body to do more. And I continued to have to give it time to recover because I was just constantly injured. And so that's when I actually started riding my mountain bike again. And it was the same mountain bike that I had ridden <laughs> when I was like 15 years old. This was like ancient giant hardtail that had been my brother's before it was mine. And so it was too big for me. <laughs> and I took it up to our ski resort, Whitefish Mountain Resort. They have a, a weekly race league. And I did a few of those races and I just, I did well. Like, I mean, there was talent there that I didn't realize I didn't give myself credit for when I was a teenager that, yeah, I actually could ride a bike and it was pretty naturally natural for me. And through those races locally, there was a shop team that invited me to race with them, the Sportsman Ski House. And so it was through that team where my world to mountain biking was just completely opened. And I was just like a little girl in a candy shop. I was in awe and really feel like it was a gift that was given to me because I was 28, I believe at that time, pretty late 
late comparatively. And I rode the first year I competed was in 2011 as an amateur age group racer. And I raced regionally mainly, but I did go to cross country nationals. It was in Sun Valley, Idaho that year. And then marathon nationals was in Bend, Oregon. And I think I won every race that I started that season. And so I naturally upgraded to pro for 2012. So I want to go back to talking about when you went off to school in Florida, because you mentioned that you were homeschooled mostly. What was that like being mostly homeschooled? And then all of a sudden you've had him leave home, move across the country and go to college. I was excited for it. I graduated at 17. So I was pretty young, but it was a small school very strict, traditional Christian school. My older brother went there and my grandparents lived in Pensacola at the time. And this college has a book publishing company. They print curriculum. And I did their curriculum growing up. And so I was kind of familiar with the way they did things. And it was one of the more affordable colleges as well. And so when we went to visit it, I just felt like the next step was attending there. And you mentioned softball and soccer, which are both team sports. Do you prefer individual sports or do you really like being a part of a team? I prefer individual sports. I enjoyed those team sports as well. They were pretty special memories for me. But I know with my own daughter, I'll of course support whatever she wants to pursue. But I encourage the individual sports rather because mostly those are sports that you can do for a lifetime. Yeah, for sure. And like, what about the team dynamic? Did you enjoy that or was it hard? Because I know I played soccer growing up and I, I stopped when I got to high school, but it could be really hard with a group of girls who are all incredibly competitive on a soccer team. It can be, but we mainly had really good relationships. I was lucky that way. Some of the friends that I met in college were still friends. And so there was a lot of that on our team. Awesome. All right. So you got on a club team or a shop team, and that was just this eye opener for you. And you realized, well, okay, like now I can do a little bit more and you became a pro. So it's funny because a lot of people say, well, what does it actually mean to be a pro? And there's varying degrees of that. So when you first became a pro, What did that mean for you and what did your life look like? Yeah, I mean, I was completely self-supported. I obviously was working a full-time job at a bank. I was a personal banker and teller at a bank. And I guess it more or less just meant that if I wanted my competition to change and to continue to be challenged, then I needed to travel. And so I had to take vacation time to go to the races and I was getting some deals through the shop team. So I, you know, I was getting a, a bike at cost or, you know, those kinds of, I guess, incentives, but I had to pick out just a very small handful of races. And that first year, 2012, I went down to Colorado Springs. I remember was my first pro XCT ever. And that's where I met Chloe and a handful of other girls. And that was also the, it rained start after the start of the race. I mean, it's just turned the clay and stickiness of that 
soil, it just created so many mechanicals. And I managed to finish sixth in my first pro XDT. And um, I feel like those kinds of scenarios, even when I didn't feel that great, or I shouldn't have done as well as I did, it was kind of like I had a lot of luck on my side (laughs) for a while. And so I raced that first pro XCT. And then I went up to Fernie, British Columbia, which is just two hours from where I lived and did a regional stage race. And it was following that stage race that I was feeling a little funky and took a pregnancy test and discovered that I was expecting. Wow. That must have been a shock. So, a bit. Yeah. And I mean, our approach had been just to not necessarily try, but not to prevent either. Mm-hmm. Like but it had taken just to see what happens, just because planning is hard and it feels like there's really no perfect time. And I, we, yeah, it had been about a year. And so I was still feeling a little surprised. <laughs> and uh, we went ahead and Nelson drove me, my husband drove me to nationals in Sun Valley. And I still raced nationals and it was my first, first pro nationals. I was 13th. And then, um, I think the weekend after was the Missoula pro XCT, which is two hours from my house in Missoula, Montana. And I raced there. And after that, those higher level pro XCTs and national events, I called it quits on those. And I did some more local racing that season, but just kind of mellowed out and did some running and just, yeah, took it a little easier. Were you worried about racing while pregnant? Because there isn't really a bunch of information out there on what's what you can and cannot do. I really decided that I was just going to listen to my body. And if my body said no, then I needed to listen to that. And so I always just did what I could. And I was pretty fortunate to always feel pretty healthy. The thing that I think more about now, of course, after crashing and hurting myself is, you know, that risk of crashing. But I think at the time I was more naive to that and wasn't scared of crashing as much. So, Mm -hmm. And how did that play into your thoughts? Because the idea of pregnancy is really unknown. Like once you're pregnant, you're like, okay, I'm pregnant. But then you don't know how your pregnancy is going to go. You don't know what the birth is going to be like. You don't know what it's going to be like coming back. So like as someone who's really competitive and really driven, how did you mentally handle that? I mean, I think I was excited to enter the journey and I was so new to mountain biking still. I hadn't had much training under my belt. I hadn't had much racing under my belt. Maybe it was a blessing to go through that process at that time because, yeah, the thought of having another one seems a lot more difficult, I think, because now I, I know what I have to give up and the expectations. I have a lot more expectations now than I did then. And so I just kind of rolled with it and it was just one day at a time, one season at a time. And I did what I could. I continued in the gym. I continued running. I continued skate skiing and riding the trainer or riding outside if it was mild enough, which it was a little, but at 28 weeks, I had to stop running because it created too much stress on my round ligament and running was making me lame. So, you know, then you just do what you can and you know, you listen to your body and don't force something that's not working. 
Yeah. And I think that this is an interesting time right now because there's a lot of really fast, amazing women who are racing into their 30s and even their early 40s. And it seems in a lot of people's minds that having a family and racing are mutually exclusive things. And it isn't really talked about very often. So I, I want us to just talk about it a little bit because maybe it'll allow people to even think about it in their own mind. Because like, I don't think that it has to be mutually exclusive. I think that you should be able to do both and you should be able to take a year off and be pregnant and enjoy that experience and come back to racing. But I have obviously never been through that experience. And you said that it would be a lot harder now because you've had a lot of success and there's expectations. Like, what would you say to somebody who maybe they're more of a recreational athlete, but they're still afraid to get pregnant because of what that could mean for them? Like, what do you, what are your thoughts on that? Yeah, I definitely sympathize with the women that are in that situation that, you know, maybe want to have kids. But I mean, I'm kind of feeling I'm in that category with having a second. Eventually, I do feel like I want to maybe pursue that. And as I enter my mid 30s, I'm 35. You know, I don't stress about it, but I do think about it. And, you know, I just you just have to do what's best for you. And look at the big picture. And it's hard to know before having children how much joy that little life can bring to you. And getting the opportunity to see the world through the eyes of a child is something so beautiful. And I'm so privileged to get to do that, that it's not anything I would ever trade. Is it hard? It is so hard. <laughs> and it's different for different women. I know that some mom athletes who are professionals, their husbands travel with them to everywhere they go. And so they always have that support person there so that it is easier for them to do both. Layla stays home most of the time. And I'm very fortunate to have my husband who's supportive, but also my mom, because my husband works too, <laughs> um, who helps a lot. And she's helped a lot all through Layla's um, years. So you can do anything if you put your mind to it. And that's largely what was able to get me to this point. But it's not gonna probably be easy. And there's times where once it feels like you're forcing something where it's just really not working, that it's best to just let it go or not do whatever it is that you're trying to do, whether it be as simple as a training ride that just didn't work out because your kid didn't nap like they were supposed to, or childcare fell through, or if it means the logistics of a race aren't coming together. So I think that's also all been a big philosophy of mine is just you can't force a process. And if it happens organically, it will feel right and the best for you and your family. Yeah, it takes a lot of courage to let stuff go. It is. I've had a lot of lessons in surrender. <laughs> and I, now that I understand it a bit more, it's always worth it in the end. But now we have, we have Layla coming over to say hello. There she goes. She's out of here. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. She needed me to zip her dress. 
She did a wardrobe change. <laughs> Costume change. <laughs> yeah. So whenever she was born and now you're a pro with a newborn, how did you navigate that? And like, I don't know if, if you want to get personal, like in terms of breastfeeding, but like my friend was stage racing with this woman who had twins and she was like pumping her breast milk at the race. So, I mean, how did you manage all that? Yeah, definitely. So Layla was born in March and I'm still, you know, a very new pro, but wanting to make some more goals to continue pushing forward. And I wanted to do as everything as natural as possible. And because at that point I was very determined to get back on my bike as soon as my body would allow me to. And I nursed Layla for a full year. And that first year she had to travel with me to the races that I went to. And there was really only a few that I kind of pinpointed and sought after. I did Missoula Pro XCT, of course, again, and then a few others on the East Coast. I did nationals, which my in-laws helped me at. But with nursing, yeah, I would have to nurse Layla before races and then oftentimes immediately following And if I was going on a long training ride, I would have to bring my hand pump. Um, So, yeah, I mean, it it definitely is just another detail to think about. I think one of my concerns was the buildup of lactic acid and it being in your milk supply and how that affects your child. And I don't know that it ever directly affected Layla. I mean, she never like refused it, but she did spit up like a lot and maybe that was just normal, but I would sometimes pump after a race instead of nursing directly if I had the opportunity to do that, but it never created a problem for her or I. So. Yeah. I love that you just did it because people assume that women get pregnant and then they just give up and it just doesn't have to be that way. And I think it's really awesome that you're sharing how you were doing it and that you can do it and that you can do whatever you want. And I think that's really brave. Yeah. And I feel lucky. I feel like I have a pretty hearty body, a pretty strong body and can handle a lot of stress and just that way where I can be training and racing. And I probably could have been nursing three kids. I mean, I just like never had a problem with my milk supply, but that is, I know, very individual. And there are moms who do struggle legitimately. And, and that's just another thing, you know, I mean, if that is you, then you just do the best you can. And if it doesn't work, it doesn't work, you know, or if you have to prioritize nursing over racing, then that choice is just very individual. And I mean, I have a lot of empathy but it just needs to be right for you and your family. Was there any resources you were using that you can lead people to? Like maybe someone, like a friend of mine had a baby this year and she's actually getting back into racing as well. Like, did you look for information anywhere or did you just did what felt right? I just did what felt right. I do have a gal friend. She just had a baby on the East Coast and I'm going to look her up really quick because... She uses, uh, there's a a woman who specifically does postpartum work to get women back in shape after having their babies. And let me follow up with you on that. But 
it's a great resource. And I think it would be awesome for other new moms to have if that's what they're interested in. Cool. We'll put that in the show notes after this goes up so people can have that. So I want to ask one more question about being a mom. And I want to ask you about the pain of childbirth compared to like the pain cave in racing. And I know it's a different kind of pain, but like, do you think that that increased your pain tolerance as a racer? I honestly don't think so. You know, you're, you are doing it to yourself. You are the one who is in complete control with racing. You can moderate your level of pain depending on, you know, what your pain threshold is, I suppose. With childbirth, for me specifically, I had no control over it. I chose not to have pain medicine, but it was something that you just had to tolerate more or less and navigate that as best you could. And the only thing so far that I have been able to in life compare it to is the dislocation of my shoulder as being like probably pretty comparable to childbirth (laughs) on a pain tolerance level. Wow. Yeah. And I want to get into your, um, the injuries that you've had recently and talk about those, but like, when did you get on your first pro team? Cause you said that you were on the shop team, but when did that change? Yeah. So Layla was a newborn at three months. I traveled with her to Pennsylvania and my in-laws picked me up and we camped at a campground And it was literally probably 98 degrees and 100% humidity. And we were camping in a tent. And again, it's just like something that I didn't really think a whole lot about. I was self-supported. My father-in-law was just loved being involved and being my support and, you know, being in the pit for me. And he knew nothing about bikes or bike racing. But, um, it's just all those support pieces that kind of kept me going. They believed in me and my family believed in me. And so I did that. And I also did, I think a world cup. I might've gone up to Mount St. Anne that year. So yeah, I mean, it looked way different. I was, you know, just self-supporting and just going to these things and just doing it basically with my little kid on my hip and, uh, so that was 2000. Layla was born in 2013. And in 2014, I was able to pursue a little more full time race schedule um, with some of the epic rides, more of the pro XATs, nationals, but I was still riding on the shop team. And in 2015, I was able to ride for the Stans women's team. They're kind of known as the pink team. And And that was in 2015. And like with all the traveling, so did your daughter go with you to all of the races or did you have to leave her home? Like when did you start leaving her at home? Pretty much as soon as she hit a year, I weaned her. And that's when I started doing more traveling without her. And what was that like? Was Uh, it hard? Like, did you feel guilty? Did you feel like you're missing out on her growing up? Like... I always wonder how people feel when they have to leave their kids behind because a lot of people do. It was hard, more like the connection, just not having her physically there with me. But at the same time, I had to go and trust, like knowing that she was fine, like she was accounted for, she was well, she was loved, and that I needed to do this for me 
And that was more or less my job and my responsibility to take those steps to continue and pursue my sport. And so, and I did have to, I had to plan my schedule so that I wasn't ever away from her for really long periods of time. Like I would limit it to a week or something and then figure out a way Nelson did more traveling with me then. So either like, you know, he would fly down and meet me or yeah, my in-laws would go to a race. And so then I could have her there. So I just had to be really mindful about it. I couldn't just kind of frolic around the country for months on end. (laughs) Okay. So you started riding for the women's team and is that the first year you won marathon nationals? You're right. 2014, I would have won in Sun Valley that year. And like, what did that mean to you to be the national champion? Because I mean, you hadn't been that before. So like, what did that teach you about what you're capable of? Yeah, you know, I I continued to kind of discredit my performances. And oftentimes, like, use excuses, like, oh, you know, if there had been better competition there, I wouldn't have won. Or, you know, and it was a learning process to really give myself credit and to realize that, no, like, I did work for that. And I did deserve that win. And I think there's something, there's a great balance between being humble, but also being confident and knowing like your value. And so that was maybe the beginning of that process and learning what that looked like to be confident and to know like, no, like, like you, you are deserving. And, and that was yours. Like you won that. It wasn't just because there wasn't a very strong field. And like, I think that this is really common among women because I do it too. And I've heard, I hear other people do it. And I also hear other people saying that about other people, like, well, there wasn't anybody there, but it's like, that's not helpful to think or to say those things. But why, why do you think that we do that? Like as women? Well, it's a good question. I mean, men, just most of them just seem like they're the greatest things on earth and walk around like, (laughs) you know, with their chest stuck out and they're just, you know, just so confident by nature, so many of them. And then the women just kind of like shudder away and, you know, are tentative and don't just naturally show that same confidence. So, I mean, I do think it is a natural discrepancy between men and women and women have to, a lot of us at least have to more or less learn that characteristic through experience. It definitely does not come as natural as the men. (laughs) Mm -hmm. And how do you think people can work on that? Like, how did you work on that? Well, it was just experience really. And I had some great mentors that helped me see my value. And then also, even when I still thought more or less that I was kind of a nobody or, you know, no one knows who I am, or actually that wasn't true. Like people did know who I was and, you know, other people saw me as being deserving. And even if I didn't see myself. And so it was kind of through those eye-opening experiences that surprised me at times, like, really, like, you want me to do that, that it's like, no, you deserve to like people. Yeah, you should do that. And and I'm still, you know, I'm not always confident, like, this whole experience this summer of being sidelined is shaking me a bit. But it's just a constant reminder, like you have to constantly be investing into your soul and your heart with the things that you read and 
how you think about yourself and meditation and all of that, I think it's a constant thing that you just have to be continuing to feed so that you don't ever end up empty. Do you think that sports are the best way to get to know yourself? Because all of those things you are mentioning are a deep self-awareness so that you can work on becoming your best self. Do you think that it's sports in particular brings that out in us because of how hard sports can be? Well, I know for me they are because that's where I'm competitive and that's where I'm talented. I would imagine that for someone who is pursuing music and is competitive with music or something else that they could perhaps find the same sort of challenges and have to work in a different way, not as much physical, but they have to practice and just fine tune their skills would be able to find that same sort of space, perhaps. Yeah. So like through challenges and putting yourself outside your comfort zone and going for something that you really want, that's when you are at your best because that's where you can learn the most about yourself. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So you started riding for Stan's Pivot. It was called something else like this year, the name changed, I think. But what, like, when did that come about? Yeah, this year it changed to the Stan's Pivot Pro Team presented by Maxis. So at the end of 2015, I had been working with Kenny a bit. Kenny Stan's Kenny just through riding with the Stan's women's team. And yeah, the process of joining Chloe on the Stan's pivot team got put into the works. And I joined the squad for 2016 was my first year with the Stan's pivot team. And how did having that increased level of support help you in your racing? Dramatically, just they were so great to me. And it really eliminated, it was a brand new experience. It really eliminated so many details that I always had to account for before. Just the stress of my bike working properly or who is going to feed me or where was I going to stay? Or, I mean, the list is limit limitless for those that are in the position now, you know, and I would not trade those years for anything because it makes me just appreciate so much what I have now with the support from pivot cycles and stands and the team and just how much they take off my plate. I don't have to, even the financial burden of, you know, all the, all of the expenses that add up along the way that I can really just focus on my performance largely and that I'm not distracted with other stresses of having a broken spoke or whatever things often happen. So I want to talk about training for a little bit because a lot of times people think that you should just train through it when you don't feel good on your bike. And it always looks like everybody's feeling strong and good, but that's not always the case. So I want to just talk about how you deal with it. If you're have a workout on your schedule and you know that you're not feeling very good and how, what you do with that. Yeah, I mean, if I'm feeling, so my coach now, Jason Tullis with Tanak Championship Coaching, recovery is pretty high priority for him. So applying the stress and then giving me the time that I need to recover before I have hard workouts build up. 
if I do feel not recovered and I have a workout, you know, we'll kind of console and oftentimes I'll go ahead and do the workout. And I used to feel like, oh man, I failed my intervals. But then I realized I don't think that's fair. I don't think it's fair to say you failed your intervals because another motto of mine has just been your best is good enough. And if you did your very best on that day, then that's good enough. I usually just, if I'm struggling with a workout, I do almost 100% of the time complete the workout, even if I'm not completing it according to what I was supposed to complete it at with power ranges or whatever. But there's a great sense of, for me, like, just satisfaction in still completing the workout. And then, you know, I, we can consult again. And, and if I'm not feeling good and, you know, maybe for the next day or whatever, we do make adjustments as needed, mm-hmm. but I do, again, I feel like there's no one that knows yourself better. And if, you know, trying to push through a workout on a day where you're not feeling good is going to make you sick and you're going to end up completely worthless for the following week, like then that's your responsibility to know when to say you can't do that workout that day or to give yourself a break. But if you know, you can just kind of push through it, do your best. It's not great. You didn't fail, but give yourself another couple days of recovery and you're going to be fine. Maybe even stronger for it Then do that. Yeah. And I mean, you've been a like amazingly successful across multiple disciplines, which isn't easy to do. Like you've been marathon national champion multiple times. You've excelled at an extremely high level in cross country and short track racing. So like what kind of training are you doing that allows you to excel in both disciplines? I think anyone who's really successful at cross country does enough volume that they can perform at a marathon distance as well. Maybe if it were, you know, the hundred milers may get a little more challenging. My training is pretty varied and you're hitting on all of those intensity zones, the VO2 zone and the duration is short and really, really hard. And you're, you know, and that's kind of fine tuning that really high end that you do need for short track and cross country racing and doing plenty of threshold workout at the same time and FTP workouts. And I mean, you're just giving yourself like a very varied workouts. You're not doing the same level of workouts throughout the week or, you know, like right now I am doing a lot of base building and a lot of tempo work because I'm not racing until March, but throughout the winter time, we'll start shortening those efforts, those intervals and increasing the intensity of them. Then that prepares you. So I want to talk about some of the injuries you've had because there's been some things that have happened in the last couple of years that have required you to have that tenacity, to have that confidence to get through them. So do you want to tell us about your, your shoulder injury that you had, or actually that it was, it was the ACL, right? That was that the first one. Yeah, I guess this all started about 2016. I've kind of been on an injury streak maybe end of the season in 2016, my first year riding for the Stans Pivot Pro team. I was at the Mount St. Anne World Cup and in training, I tore my ACL just off of a a silly little crash. And I ended up 
traveling home with Layla after that race and having an MRI and having surgery and rehabbing through that winter, I was able to go back to racing in the spring of 2017. But about that same time, maybe a month later, I ended up with a dislocated shoulder off of a, of a crash and dislocated my shoulder three more times within that season. And then most recently this spring, I broke my fibula at the Pan American Championships in Columbia, South America in April. And then I followed that up with a shoulder surgery to repair my torn labrum that was allowing for the shoulder dislocations. So last year, I mean, I kind of felt like I was just able to keep my head above water. I pretty much tore my ACL at the end of the season. So there was just a couple races that I was missing. World Championships had been in June that year due to the Olympics. And so that was a race I did not have to miss. So basically, my attention just turned to really rehabbing and working hard. And, and it worked. I went back to racing probably stronger than I'd ever been. I spent tons of hours on the trainer that year and just dedicated my life, I felt like, to getting healthy again into my rehab. And then when I tore my or and then when I dislocated my shoulders, every time I just felt like I was barely keeping my head above water, being able to breathe and stay healthy. But I think I missed two races from the shoulder dislocations. And so that was okay. You know, you learn a lot and it's easy to almost forget how it felt during that time. And so I do try to journal a lot and write down the way that I'm feeling just so that I can revisit it. Because when you're on a high, like you really are on a high and it's so easy to forget what it felt like when you were on that low and weak, really physically weak and how painful it is and how much your heart hurts. And I don't want to forget that because as hard as it has been, it's also been a really beautiful part of my life. Probably one of the parts that I have grown the very most. And so I cling to those things because there's always good that you can find in, in a tough situation but I, I honestly don't feel like I probably have ever been quite as heartbroken as I was when I broke my fibula in April. Um, it had come off of a pretty tough winter, just navigating. Just my husband and I were really having a difficult time. And I went back to racing and we were working hard on our, our relationship. And when I went back to racing, I was pretty excited, but maybe honestly lacking a little passion for it. And in that first race at the Pan American Championships, I dislocated my shoulder in training. I landed a jump in it. It popped out of socket. And that was after a winter of rehabbing my shoulder and not pursuing surgery. Right away, I really wanted to give my shoulder, you know, the opportunity for rehab and, and to not go directly to surgery. So I didn't have it done. And just really was focusing on rehabbing that shoulder through the winter. Well, you know, the first opportunity that I put stress on it, like real mountain biking, not just riding the trainer, it just wasn't enough and remained very loose until up through starting. It really didn't improve at all. And I just tried to just be very focused 
very determined that I was going to start and I was going to race and I was just going to trust that God was going to get me through and that it wasn't going to bother me because <laughs> when you're racing, a lot of the time you don't think about those little things. And I started and I had no rhythm to the race. My shoulder was incredibly loose. It continued to become snagged and tangled up inside of the socket. And in order for me to continue racing, I would have to grab my top tube and pull back in order to just untangle those ligaments inside or relax and let it dangle. And there were times as well that I would just have to stop if I was, you know, on a, in a place where I couldn't ride one handed and just pull my arm enough to untangle those ligaments. So every time it dislocated, the aftermath and the recovery process was continuing to get much worse. And after I finished a full lap, I slid out on a loose gravel corner. And in an effort to break my fall, I put my foot down. And I thought I severely sprained it. And I didn't find out until I got home that I had actually fractured my fibula so I continued racing on a broken leg and a shoulder that was a disaster. And I, I really struggled a lot in the race. And I remember entering my fifth lap, the final lap of the race, and just praying that the officials were going to pull me off the course. And they didn't. And so I just put my head down and I made it through and I finished. But it was literally like the most miserable I've ever been in a race before. Yeah. And I mean, as cyclists, we tend to go back to the bike too soon. We try to push through injuries. I mean, I've done stupid stuff myself that I actually regret doing. I wonder like why we feel like we need to do that. Have you thought about that? I know at the time, and I still know this, not know, like I knew that because I physically could continue to race, that that's why I did, even though legitimately I should have pulled myself out of that situation. But I would have been disappointed with myself if I did, if I would have done that. And I think it's just maybe that fear of feeling like you didn't do your best. And so I, I just always want to know at the end of the day that I did do my best. And so for me that day, my best I guess is interpreted by finishing, even though it wasn't a great result, obviously. However, it's also justified that if I had pulled myself out, that my best would have been that on that day as well. So that's why I continued racing because I physically was able to do it. And yeah, I mean, it probably wasn't the smartest thing that day, but. <laughs> yeah. And I mean, you mentioned like disappointment and just feeling so bad. Like, how do you pull yourself out? I mean, it doesn't happen immediately, but when we feel bad, when we're disappointed about something or when we've had a huge setback, like what's the best recourse for us to strap our boot or put our boots back on and keep going or, or not do that? You know, for me, I really needed time this time around. And, you know, after I tore my ACL, I mean, there's always a little, a grief process and that process can look different per injury, I suppose. My ACL was shorter lived and, you know, having it be majority of in the off season, I was able to move through that and find my fire pretty quick. But with my leg, 
I pretty much hit rock bottom and I mean, I, I struggled. Like I cried every day. I mean, I, I still get emotional thinking about it just and how much it actually, like it broke my heart. And, you know, I mean, you enter a season of loneliness because you're for one, maybe more isolated than you normally would be because you're laid up and, you know, the cycling community, you know, my team and my friends, my girlfriends that are my competitors, you know, they relate to you. Like they're some of my better friends and I didn't get to see them or spend time with them or have that normal race camaraderie that I've had for years in the past and have grown to love and cherish. And so it was a pretty dark couple of months for me. I ended up flying home from South America instead of I was supposed to race in California following that race for either two or three more races. And my mother-in-law was flying here from Maine and we ended up flying into Kalispell um, at the same time she was flying to watch, help me with Layla. So rather than, you know, her being there to help me with Layla, I mean, she was there also to help me <laughs> get through. And so she took me to my doctor's appointments and helped me with my surgery. And, you know, and I'm, I do feel very grateful to have my husband and to have her and, and there are things, you know, perspective people, you know, they, they try to encourage you and there are definitely things to do like, you know, well, it could have been a lot worse, you know, people, you know, it's, it's, oh, it could have been a lot worse or, well, at least, you know, this didn't happen or, but, and, and that's true. Like it is good to maintain perspective, but I don't think that should be the reason for those trying to maintain perspective is to take the pain away because I think allowing yourself to hurt is also part of the process and the tears for me just they needed to flow and I needed to wallow in that a little bit you know and inappropriate as inappropriate as possible I think that is definitely just part of the grieving process and you know you're dealing with loss you're dealing with loss of I was dealing with loss of a racing season you know, feeling like I was letting my team down, myself down. And it was this pattern that was starting to, I was feeling like it was a pattern that was happening with just the repetition of being injured. And, and so, I mean, everyone I'm sure handles their grief in those situations differently, but for me, it was, pretty ugly for, for a while. And now I'm through that. I dealt with a pretty severe infection in my incision at about four weeks. As soon as I got the okay to begin weight bearing, I came down with an infection that was so bad and was not improving that my surgeon made scheduled a surgery to have my hardware removed because the bacteria can survive antibiotics on hardware. And I was within like a few hours 
just improving enough that he canceled the surgery and put me on a second round of antibiotics. And that was the first yes that I felt like I'd been given in a very long time. And it felt really good just to not have to undergo another surgery yet. But then when I started riding my bike again and putting things into perspective and I made a list of pros and cons to address my shoulder, there was no reason for me to wait to have my shoulder fixed and to go back to racing again in July like I originally had wanted to be able to race nationals. I knew in my heart it wasn't a good idea and that I would potentially set myself up for more disappointment, more pain, more struggle, rather than taking the time that I needed emotionally, mentally, as well as physically, because even though your bone can heal in six weeks, that soft tissue takes much, much longer, up to a year. And and I really... I really needed that time with my ankle or my leg and, and then to not have to worry about trying to race on an unstable shoulder that can dislocate pretty much at any time. So when I decided to have my shoulder repaired, it gave me a real sense of empowerment, actually, just that I was the one making that decision. And it was for my longevity in the sport and my sustainability and that I was doing what was best for me and my family. And it was really after that in late June that I felt like I really was able to begin appreciating the summer that I had at home. I hadn't experienced a Montana summer without being on a structured training program and being gone a lot in years. And just the extra time with my family and like I mentioned, just really focusing and working hard on my marriage and being a mom and just putting the energy that it takes to pursue those relationships can, you know, you can easily uh, put them aside when your focus is on training and racing and you have these performances that you, you can't deal with that stuff right now. And it really gave me the opportunity to address those hard things and work on them. And I can look back and I am grateful for the time that I have had at home, even though it wasn't by choice necessarily. It was really needed. Just the schedule can be, yeah, it can be hard. It can be stressful. And I guess I didn't maybe know, but I needed the rest and the time. Yeah. Yeah. Thanks for sharing all that. I mean, I know that's, that's like really vulnerable and that, I mean, that was your life. So like, how are you feeling now? Because you've been through all these things and you're kind of on the tail end of recovering and there's another race season next year. And you met, you mentioned your first race is going to be in March so, like, how do you feel about that? Do you feel good? Do you feel anxious? Do you feel, like, are you worried about how you're going to perform? So next year, I'm, I'm actually really excited. I haven't quite got to the point yet where I, I feel like I'm ready to pin down my races specifically. 
it will be a process in gaining my confidence back. I know that, you know, the first time I land a jump, I'm going to be probably going to be pretty scared (laughs) that my shoulder is not going to stay in. And so, you know, I'm planning on attending some skills camps so that I can regain the confidence that I need in more of a structured scenario. And I just want to enter the season with expectation. I want to expect that it's going to be great and it's going to play out just the way it's supposed to. And it's going to be beautiful because even though the past has been difficult, it is beautiful as well. And it's just my story, you know, it's just all part of the story and the journey and the process. And, you know, it's like, they're really the end definition. I don't know, like, what does that mean? Does it mean that you're standing on the top step of a podium? Like, not necessarily, maybe for some people. And winning is great. But that really not to downplay results, because, (laughs) of course, that's what drives all of us. But it's really the process. And so as I work hard towards next year, I still have maybe three months until my shoulder is fully recovered. But I started mountain biking, I've been doing a lot of work on my road bike, and it feels amazing just to put in some volume. One thing I'm really excited about that I haven't had the opportunity of doing before is just really putting in high volume in the fall. So in the past, I've always been finishing a race season, kind of dialing back, kind of just giving yourself that off season break. And this year, having been pretty much off all summer, I'm just really increasing my volume and looking forward to seeing how that is going to change my performances for next year along with the skills camp. So no, I think you just always have to enter into those seasons with positive expectation and just trust that process and embrace the work. And that's all you can do. Like if you have doubts, then that's pretty scary. (laughs) You just have to give yourself time to process it. Yeah. And I have one last question. It's about your sponsors. So I know people get really nervous whenever they get injured because a lot of times sponsors want you to race. So how did you navigate that? I mean, I consulted with them, but I have the best team and the best sponsors. They told me that their priority for me was they just wanted me to be healthy. And when I presented the shoulder repair and the pros and cons list, like Chloe told me, right then and there, she said, Rose, if it makes it any easier for you to make the decision to have your shoulder fixed, I will write you a contract right now for next year. That is how lucky I am. Yeah, that's so awesome. And just to have that friendship and that support, I'm sure has just created just like such a good environment for you to heal. It is. And it feels amazing to know that I am valued beyond my results. I mean, it really is like the best situation. And it's the, you know, and it's just like what we were talking about earlier, like, like you are worth it. You know, you are worth it. You deserve it. And it's just only helped in keeping me, you know, positive and working hard. It's, you know, really 
motivated me to continue to make sure that I'm putting in my work and being my best. Awesome. Well, where's the best place for people to find you? Well, Instagram is my most active, Rose K. Grant. I finally wrote a blog about my Pan American Championships experience, but I was very outdated on my website. So yeah, contact me through Instagram and I'm going to keep trying to do more writing on my website. Awesome. Well, I just want to say thank you again for coming on the show and acknowledge you for the courage that it takes to share and also to have gone through what you've gone through and wish you nothing but the best and can't wait to watch you. Thanks for having me, Sonia. Awesome. There are so many badass women on this podcast, and I'm so thankful that Rose Grant took the time to come on the show. It was fun because I also got to see and meet her daughter over the Skype video. And I just, I love seeing balance in people's lives. I love seeing that you can do lots of different things. I hope you're enjoying the fall weather and the rest of your week, wishing you all the best success in your training and adventures. And we'll see you back here next week.